have you ever been so bored on a long airplane ride that you actually read the in-flight magazine? <laughs> you know, this happened to me recently. I'd been on the plane for several hours. I'd finished the novel that I'd brought with me, and I wasn't interested in the movie that they were showing, so I actually reached into the seat back pocket, took out the in-flight magazine, and began reading an article called An Insider's Look at Dating in the Modern World. Just what I needed. An article on dating. But it was, you know, it was kind of fascinating. It was an interview with a gal named Melissa Brown. Melissa is a young, uh, very attractive, business-savvy dating expert who has just started a company called It's Just Lunch. And this is what she says in that article that I found rather interesting. She said, we're more connected than ever through social media and online networking. Yet we're also more disconnected than ever. Today's technology makes communication faster, but I'm not sure it's better. You can't make a genuine connection with someone by texting, emailing, or friending. I, as I read this, I thought, I'm glad she said this, because if somebody like I said it, every one of you who's 30 or under would be shaking your heads going, Jim, you, you just don't get it, do you? You know, but let me continue reading. She says, when you meet someone in person and share a meal together, you see how that person interacts with you and the people around you. You observe their body language and how they carry themselves. That's where the true chemistry happens, face to face. And then she wraps up with this remark. At It's Just Lunch, our focus is to get people out from behind their computers, out making connections with real people. You go, girl. You know, that's our goal at Christ Community Church. We want to get people out and about. We want to get them connected at our weekend services in a regular, meaningful, spiritual way. I mean, this, this is one of the goals of our weekend services. We call it authentic community. Authentic community. Now, we're wrapping up a series today. It's been a five-part series called Church Matters. And I've been trying to convince you that the 80-minute weekend services at Christ Community Church are don't-miss events, that they contribute something indispensable to your lives. And, and one of the things that, that they contribute is authentic community. We've looked at five key ingredients that go into every weekend service, and today our focus is on this fifth and final one, authentic community. We need it. In fact, I want you to turn to the person next to you, this is serious now, and with all sincerity, I want you to say, you need authentic community. Okay, go, go ahead, go do that. The other campuses as well. Okay, did you, did you do it sincerely? <laughs> if you've got a Bible, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 2? That's our text for today. Take the outline from your program. We all need authentic community, and I know what some of you are thinking. You're, you're thinking, no, I don't. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm not a people person. I'm an introvert. I don't like big crowds like what I'm subjected to at weekend services. You know, my goal is to get in, get out, you know, as few touches as possible. I don't need community. I need space. That's what some of you are thinking, and you're wrong. Because God's word starts with the declaration that, that God has hardwired into us a longing for community. The opening chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, say that we have been made in the image of God. And one aspect of, of God's nature is, is that he's communal. 
God is a relational being. He's a three-in-one God. He's Father, Son, and Spirit. And so when God makes you in his image, God, God makes you to thrive on community. You know, God, God has built into you an itch for togetherness. And one of our goals at our weekend services is to scratch that itch. Now, I want to take you to Acts chapter 2, give you a little background to this passage. This is the launch of the early church. This is where it all begins. This is 50 days after Jesus has been raised from the dead and he's returned to heaven. And now his small band of followers is about to go public with their Jesus movement. And so Peter, the spokesman for the group, he steps out of the streets of Jerusalem, which was packed with religious pilgrim, pilgrims. It was a religious holiday, thousands of extra people in town, in the very city where just a month and a half earlier Jesus had been crucified. And Peter gets up and starts preaching a message about Jesus, saying, you've you got to come to Christ. You've got to come to Jesus. And he gets done with his message, and, and the people basically respond with, well, what do you want us to do? What, what do you expect of us based on what you've just told us about Christ? So this is Peter's response. Look at verse 38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter says to this group, when they ask, what should we do? He says, well, it begins with repentance. You turn from your sins. You say, God, I'm sorry. You, you really mean it. You tell God you, you want to walk in obedience to him. And then you put your trust in Jesus and go public with that decision by getting baptized. Which, by the way, you've heard is something we're going to do in several weeks here. So if you have made a decision to follow Christ and not gotten baptized since making that decision, I would encourage you to go to an orientation class and be part of that baptism at all, all four campuses. It'll be going down on uh, February 23rd and 24th. So uh, repent of your sins, put your trust in Jesus, get baptized, and then your, your sins will be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people in the verses that follow, 3,000 people respond positively to Peter's invitation. They repent of their sins, put their trust in Christ, go public in baptism, receive the gift of the, of, of the Holy Spirit, and become instant community. They're bonded together as brothers and sisters in the same family. Now, I want you to drop down to verse 42 because the last paragraph of Acts chapter 2 is a description of this new community. Five aspects of the togetherness of these 3,000 people who've just become Christ followers. Let me read it to you, and as I read this passage to you, if you got your own Bible, I want you to underline or circle the word together, because that, that's what the passage is, is about. It's about community. It's about togetherness. So every time you see that word pop up, circle it. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, that's another way to say communion, which is what we're going to do here uh, at the end of our service, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. How many togethers did you see? Oh, come on, let's participate. How many did you see? 
Do you see all three of them? And even between the, the emphasis on together, 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 it, it, it's just describing togetherness here. So th- this, was, this was the experience of the early church, instant community. Now, what we want to do today is we want to look at five aspects of that togetherness because hopefully we're going to see God do this at Christ's community church, produce the same kind of togetherness. Here's the first aspect of it, if you're filling in your, your outline, it's Holy Spirit togetherness. Okay, it's Holy Spirit togetherness. Somebody recently sent me an excerpt from a, an NPR broadcast that they had heard, and this, this broadcast was uh, recounting the fact that a recent survey has shown that one-third of young adults... Okay, one-third of people in the 18 to 25 age group now declare themselves to be religiously unaffiliated. Okay, religiously unaffiliated. In, in other words, they don't belong to any faith group. They have no connection to a church or a synagogue or, 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 or a mosque, whatever. And so they were interviewing some of these young people, uh, and one of the questions they asked was, do you ever fear that you might be missing something by being religiously unaffiliated? And one guy had an interesting response. He said, well, I know some people will say I'm missing out on community because it used to be church was where you'd go if you want to experience community. He said, but I don't really need that. He said, I can join a softball team. He said, I've got a project group at work. I've got buds that I can hang out with at the pub. So we don't need a weekend service at Christ Community Church for the sake of authentic community. We can find that that authentic community in a variety of other venues, right? Not so close. Not not so quick, rather. Go go back to the the verse I read to you at the opening, verse 38 of Acts chapter 2. And I want you to note what Peter says happens when a person surrenders his or her life to Christ. They receive a gift from God. What is the gift? The gift of what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. So if you've put your trust in Christ, if you've asked him to forgive your sins, if you've made him the Savior, the King of your life, God's Spirit has come to live on the inside, just as he indwells every other Christ follower you meet. And friends, the commonality we have with the same Holy Spirit indwelling us creates a sense of community like you will not experience in any other setting. In fact, whatever campus you're worshiping on today, if you're a Christ follower sitting among Christ followers, you share something in common that melds you together, bonds you together in a community unlike any other community out there. You could be sitting next to a family member with whom you share the same flesh and blood, and it's still not as close, as tight a bond as the bond of God himself in the person of his Holy Spirit. This this is an amazing community. Now, that doesn't mean that you'll necessarily experience this community every time you come to a weekend service. Because the fact of the matter is, your experience of community depends in some measure on your initiative. Now, let, let me explain what I mean here. In the course of this series, Church Matters, we have covered five ingredients that go into every weekend service at Christ Community Church. But as I was ruminating on those five ingredients this past week, it occurred to me that we can only program the first four of them. 
we could only program the first four of them. In other words, we, we can pretty much guarantee that you're going to get the first four things that we've talked about in this series because we intentionally plan for them to happen. I mean, every week we provide the four things we've covered, uh, vision casting, worship, teaching, prayer. And so even if you're not interested in those activities when you show up here on a weekend, that's what you're going to get because that's what we're going to serve up. However, listen now, we can't program community. We We can't program community. In spite of all the efforts that go into our weekend services, the efforts of ushers and greeters and Kids World volunteers and worship team participants and Cup of Joy coffee servers and Bible teachers and Welcome Center hosts, we can't make community happen in our weekend services. So what do we do? Well, one thing we do is we pray like crazy that the Holy Spirit will make it happen because he's the only one who can orchestrate it. You know, we say, Holy Spirit, if you, if you don't show up, we're just going to be a crowd. But, but if you show up, you can take this crowd and you could make it into community. You could create a sense of togetherness here. Just, just an aside, if you're in a community group, one of our 400 community groups, every community group is assigned one or two dates a year when we ask you to gather your group during one of the three weekend services or two services, however many your campus has, and to pray for the effectiveness of that service. One of the things we're asking you to pray for is that God's Spirit will make community happen. So if you're a community group leader and you don't know what date your group is supposed to pray, I hope you'll find out, and you'll show up with your team, and you'll pray hard, because if God's Spirit doesn't do it, it's not going to happen. Now, there is a flip side to this. We not only appeal to the Holy Spirit, we do appeal to you to make your own contribution to the sense of authentic community. Now, how are you going to do that? Well, I could spoon feed you the answer to that question, but I'd rather stretch your imagination and also make some of you uncomfortable in the process. So I'm going to ask you to talk to the person next to you again for 30 seconds. And here's the question. The question is, what do you think the average attender could do just the person sitting out in the audience to help make community happen during the weekend services, to make togetherness take place, okay? All four campuses, I want you to do this for the next 30 seconds, and if you're smart, the first thing on your list will be, well, I suppose the pastor could stop talking and ask us to talk to each other, right? So that's what I'm going to do. 30 seconds, go for it. All right. I bet you came up with some good ideas. Here, here are a few things that occurred to me. You know, simple stuff like introduce yourself when you sit down. Turn to the person next to you and say, hey, my name is, and tell them your name. Here's another thing you could do. Move front and center like our ushers are always trying to get you to do as opposed to hanging on the fringes. Actually, rub shoulders with people. 
He, here's another thing. Arrive on time. Now that's a novel idea. Instead of coming in on two wheels, which gives you no opportunity to engage anybody else in a conversation, and how about staying, you know, instead of when, when the service is over, grabbing your coat and racing toward your vehicle so you could be first out of the lot, how about just hanging out? You know, how about during that greeting time learning three names? And what, what's that 431 thing that Ferris has us doing? Attend four weeks in a row, learn three new names, ask, you know, start two conversations, and then actually pray for someone. If you find out something that's going on in their lives that you could say, hey, can I pray about that? Just a one-sentence prayer. What would happen if we all made a commitment? Thousands of people at our, our four campuses all said, I'm going to be used by the Holy Spirit to make community happen at our weekend services. And we all came with the intent of seeing community take place, togetherness. Wow. You get it? Good. Here's a second aspect of this togetherness. It was devoted togetherness. Let's go back to the text. Uh, go back to verse 42. We read the whole thing, but I'm going to take it apart verse by verse. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which is communion, and to prayer. Devoted. The word devoted means to persevere at something. Okay, Devoted means to stick to it. It means to do something consistently, relentlessly, enthusiastically. And what, what is it that these early Christ followers were devoted to? Well, they were devoted to the gathering of the church. They, they were devoted to getting together for the sake of teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and, and prayer. These are the elements that go into a, a weekend service at Christ Community Church. They were, they were going to persevere. They were, they were going to be there. I've got a friend who's a pastor of a large church in Southern California. We were talking a week ago. He said, this past week, a head usher for one of our, our Sunday services comes up to me, and he says, my son wants to play in a, a traveling sports team. And he said, now, the bad news is all their games are on Sunday mornings. And he says, not only that, unfortunately, they told me that if I want my son to play on the team, they're short coaches, and so i got to volunteer to help coach. So I'll see you in a couple of months. That's like getting dumped by your girlfriend in high school, right? And, and this pastor friend of mine said, you, you know, what I was troubled by was not the fact that I was going to lose a head usher for a couple of months. What I was troubled by was that this guy was so little devoted to the gathering of Christ followers once a week, you know, getting together for uh, teaching and worship and prayer and fellowship. And not only that, as a model, a role model to his son, what's he teaching his son? That if there's ever a time conflict between a God priority and a sports priority, guess which priority wins? You know, at our weekend services at Christ Community Church, we offer you authentic community, community that God has designed you to thrive on. But you won't experience that authentic community unless you are devoting consistent time to it, unless you are devoting consistent time to it. I, I got a mailing this past week. It was an information promotional packet from a group called Date Night Chicagoland. Uh, anybody see this stuff yet? It's, uh, they've got a website. I, I think they got billboards and whatever. The mission of this organization is, is to help marriages thrive. And so if you go on their website, 
They've got a survey, a diagnostic survey that you as a married couple can take. They've got workshops that they offer. There are weekend getaway packages, special deals, and whatever you can check out. But the centerpiece of their strategy is the date night. And so they're trying to encourage couples to set aside one night a week to go out on a date and not let anything get in the way of it. You know, don't you say, well, I, you know, we can't do it tonight because I'm going to get home late from work or the kids have an activity or there's a ball game out. No, you set it aside and you stick to it. Nothing interferes. And they've discovered, according to their research on their website that they post, that 90% of the people who will do this, who will devote themselves to a date night, register that they experience increased satisfaction in their marriage. I read that and I thought, well, it doesn't take a genius to figure that out. I mean, you want more togetherness in your marriage? Guess what? you got to get together. So, wow! You want a greater experience of community, togetherness. It requires devoting yourself to getting together. The same is true of Christ followers. So, when are you going to be willing to say, I am devoted to a weekend service, Saturday or Sunday, every week at Christ Community Church? Nothing's going to get in the way of it. Now, I know this would be a big step for some of you, because truth be known, you've started coming to church like in the last year, and it's been years since you came uh, to church at all. And so showing up once or twice a month, you're saying, this is a big deal for me. And it is a big deal. And I say, way to go. I'm glad you're here. But I want to hasten to add that if you want to experience authentic community once or twice a month, isn't going to make it happen. And so I'm going to challenge you to ratchet it up to every week. Devoted togetherness. In fact, I'll take it a step further. Those of you who are in community groups, the same principle applies. I tell the guys, the men in my Wednesday morning group, if you can't make this group with consistency, if you can't be here most of the time, I know all of us have business travel from time to time, but if you can't be here most of the time, I'd encourage you not to join the group. I'm not trying to kick anybody out. I just happen to know that togetherness requires devotion to togetherness. Got to be there. Devoted togetherness. Number three, third aspect. It's come to give. Come to give togetherness. Go back to verse 42 one more time. I won't reread the verse, but I do want you to circle a very important word in the middle of verse 42. It's the word fellowship. Okay, these Christ followers were devoted to, one of the things, fellowship. What's fellowship? It's kind of a churchy word, isn't it? Fellowship. I once heard somebody define fellowship this way. They said, fellowship is two fellows in the same ship. <laughs> I said, well, that's cute. <laughs> it's pretty shallow. So fellowship is nothing more than hanging out with other people, two fellows in the same ship. Okay, the word in the original Greek text of Acts 2, verse 42, is the word koinonia. Now say, the, say koinonia with me. Koinonia. Okay, so what is koinonia? Back when I was a college student is when I started walking with Christ in earnest. And, and back then, somebody had just discovered this Greek word in Acts 2.42, koinonia. So everything was koinonia. Okay, the, the really cool youth groups were called koinonia. And if you went to a Christian coffee house, it was uh, typically called a koinonia coffee house, or Christian bookstores were called koinonia. If you were in a Bible study group, it was a koinonia group. Uh, the only problem is I don't think any of us knew what koinonia meant. 
So what is koinonia? Koinonia back in the first century meant a business partnership. It was a business partnership where there was some financial investment being made. In fact, Paul uses this word when he writes a letter, an epistle to the Philippians, thanking them for their contribution to an offering that he was collecting for poor people in Jerusalem. He said, I praise God for your koinonia. See, for your partnership in this venture where you're, you're making a financial investment. So koinonia is a relationship where you've got some skin in the game. When Acts 2 verse 42 says that these Christ followers were devoted to fellowship, devoted to koinonia, what we're being told is that when they, when they got together, it wasn't just for the sake of getting something for themselves, it was also for the sake of giving something to others with whom they gathered. They were a come-to-give community. I like that. You know, some time ago I was at a banquet and they were introducing the guest speaker. I forget who it was, but I'll, I'll call the guy Jack. And so the guy introducing Jack said, uh, you know, Jack and I have been friends for some time now. He said, in fact, there, there's nothing I wouldn't do for Jack and there's nothing Jack wouldn't do for me. So for years we've been doing nothing for each other. So that's a nice joke, yeah. but, but it's not so funny if it describes the attitude that we bring when we gather together as Christ followers at a weekend service at Christ Community Church. If, if we've not come to give anything, to do something for somebody else, it's been strictly about getting. In fact, sometimes, haven't we all said something like this at one time or another? I didn't get anything out of that service. Well, that may be true. There may be a service when you didn't get anything. My question is, what did you come to give? What, what did you come to give, to contribute? You say, well, like what? Well, I'll give you some examples. Yeah. How about serving? Now, now, there are a lot of ways you could serve around Christ Community Church independent of the weekend services, but you could serve during the service times as well. If you're an usher or greeter, by serving, you are giving people a taste of hospitality. You're giving them a warm welcome. You serve in one of our kids' worlds uh, on one of our four campuses, and you're giving children a spiritual foundation. You're giving moms and dads 80 minutes of peace and quiet. Okay, in fact, some of you right now, you're just loving this. You're, you're loving it because these are the only 80 minutes in your week when you're free of your preschoolers or, or whatever, and you know that someone's giving themselves to them right now, caring for them. All sorts of ways you can give by serving at our weekend services. Now, some of those will require that you come to more than one service. So you, you, you come to one service for the sake of worshiping and hearing the Bible taught for yourself, but then you stay for a second service to give. Or if you're a Sunday attender, you come to a Saturday night to give. Or if you're a Saturday night, you come to a Sunday to give. It's one way to do it. How else can you be a giver, come with something to contribute? Well, I know this sounds pretty obvious, but how about participation in the offering? Yeah, I was talking to a friend of mine a week ago, had a very disconcerting conversation. He's a president of a college. And he reads a lot of leadership books and journal articles on leadership. And he asked me, he said, Jim, have you heard of the 80-20 rule? And I said, well, everybody's heard of the 80-20 rule. It's in 
any organization, churches included, that about 80% of the people seem to be along for the ride and 20% of the people are, are left to do most of the serving and giving and in the case of churches, praying and so on. And he said, well, you're right, but I got bad news for you. He said, from what I've been reading, surveys have been done, and they're pointing to the fact that our culture is becoming increasingly selfish. So the 80-20 rule has now become the 90-10 rule. I say, oh, that's not good. So now it's 90% of the people who are along for the ride and 10% of the people who are doing most of the serving and giving and praying. And I thought to myself, yeah, I'd like to think that we're breaking the 90-10 rule at Christ Community Church especially in the area of giving. What, what would happen if we left it up to 10% of the people to do most of the heavy lifting when it comes to giving, when it comes to the weekly offering? Now, fact is, I don't know what percentage of our weekend attenders participate in giving on a regular basis, but I do know we got a huge ministry. We got costs associated with four campuses and 100 staff people. We've got half a dozen international impact partners around the world whose ministries are flourishing thanks to our giving, you know, which is why we've got a $10 million budget with no frills, no bloated salaries, just covering basic needs. And so if only 10% of our attenders, or even 20%, or, or 30% are picking up the tab, then we're not experiencing authentic community. Because authentic community happens when you come to give, when everybody's showing up to give, to participate in the giving part. By the way, it's a joy for me to share something like this and to tell you, we are not in the red. Usually when you hear a pastor say something like this, you go, oh, they need money. You know, the fact of the matter is we as a church are in the black. I'm telling this, because, this to you because what we need is authentic community. And it doesn't happen if you're not coming to give. Not going to happen to you. Now, the outrageous generosity of this first century church is just, it's amazing to me. Go back to the text. Let me read to you how they gave. Verses 44 and 45. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Now, some people have misread this text and they've said, oh, so the early Christians were communists or socialists or, you know, this was the first hippie commune. You know, they just sold everything and pulled it together and moved in with each other. But the text actually doesn't say that. In fact, Bible scholars say that the verbs in these verses are present tense verbs, meaning continuous action. So it's not like at one point in time they sold off everything. But they held on to their houses and their cars and whatnot. But as need arose and sacrifice was required in order to meet those needs, people would say, oh, I could live without that. And they would give generously to meet those physical and spiritual needs of others. By the way, we've experienced this at Christ Community Church. We've gone through five building campaigns in the, in the history of our church. We've raised up other campuses. Some of you are watching from another campus right now which all required people to give generous amounts, some of whom gave up a vacation or a new car or something else to make it happen. So we, we want to be this come-to-give community. You can give by serving. You can give by participating in the offering. You can give by singing and not holding back. And you've heard me say this before. If you, if you say, oh, I'm a croaker, I just, you know, I just make noise. I don't sing when I, when I'm, when, when I sing. Well, Scripture says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. 
So, so you participate, you give of yourself to that worship time, you give words of encouragement, you come to give, you come to give, you come to give. You get it? Give. All right. Number four, joyful togetherness. Fourth aspect of this togetherness, joyful. Let me tell you a story I've told you before, but I love this story. It's about the pastor who decided to skip church one Sunday morning to go play golf. So he calls one of his fellow staff members, arranges for someone else to do the sermon, and then he dons a disguise, puts on a ball cap and dark glasses because he doesn't want to be seen out on the golf course by somebody else who's playing hooky from his church. And he throws his clubs in the car, drives to the country club. First few holes, he's just enjoying the sunshine, the beautiful day, a little bit of golf. And comes up to a par three, tees up the ball, hits it, lands on the green, rolls across to the cup and drops it hole in one. <laughs> the guy is ecstatic. And he looks up to the heavens and he says, God, I can't believe you let this happen. Here I am shirking my responsibilities at church and you give me a hole in one. And the voice from the clouds says, yeah, but who are you going to tell? <laughs> yeah. You know, there's, there's nothing worse than having a great joy to share and nobody to share it with. By the way, if the person next to you didn't get it, explain it to them, okay? There, there's an old Swedish proverb that goes like this. A joy shared is a joy doubled. And a sorrow shared is a sorrow halved. I like that. You know, one, of the, one of the greatest blessings of authentic community is the blessing of intensified joy. I mean, imagine this. This weekend, you could watch the Super Bowl by yourself in your family room. Or, or you could watch the Super Bowl down in New Orleans in the Superdome with 70,000 screaming fans cheering the Ravens to victory. Okay, just slip that in. Okay. Big difference. You know in that stadium, there is going to be intensified joy. Now, go back to Acts chapter 2. We don't get a picture here of 70,000 fans gathered in a stadium cheering on their football team, but it is a picture of 3,000 brand-new Christ followers gathered in the temple courts, which was an outside area. If you ever get a chance to go to Jerusalem, you go up on the Temple Mount where the, uh, the Dome of the Rock now stands, but there's a wide open expanse there, a courtyard, and, and I've seen it. That's where these Christ followers were gathering, and they're gathering not to cheer on their football team, but to praise God. Pick it up at verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. Stop right there. What made these people so glad? Verse 46, so joyful? Well, the psalmist says that in God's presence, there's fullness of joy. So if you want to experience this kind of joy, you need to get yourself in God's presence. Now, some of you are saying, well, wait a second, isn't God like present everywhere? I mean, theologians speak of this as God's omnipresence. Well, yes, it's true, the Bible teaches that God is present everywhere, but the Bible also teaches, listen, that there are certain places where God's presence is manifested more powerfully, so, so you can literally feel it, and you can experience the joy that accompanies it. And one of those places is in a gathering of Christ followers. Remember what Jesus said in this regard, Matthew 18, 20. 
If you, you can complete this verse, say it right out loud, okay? All four campuses, Jesus said, where two or three come together in my name, there, there am I or there I am with them. Jesus says, when my followers get together, that's where I'm going to be. And again, if you say, well, wait, Jesus is the Son of God, so he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. Yeah, but Jesus also says when his people get together, there is an increased manifestation, power of his presence, joy that accompanies his presence. Which is why if you're sitting here listening to my voice in one of our four auditoriums surrounded by Christ followers, you're going to experience the presence of God and the accompanying joy to a much greater degree than if you were sitting at home by yourself right now. Which is another reason why throughout the course of this series, I keep saying these are indispensable 80 minutes to your life. One of the reasons they're indispensable is because they provide you with a sense of God's presence and his joy. And friends, I know what it's like. I know that, that there are weekends when you're going to say, I, I'm just so discouraged, or it's been such a, a cruddy week for me. or See, I just don't feel like going to church. And ironically, it's when you need church the most. Because when you show up, what you find waiting for you is God's presence. What you find waiting for you is God's joy. And I can't tell you... Oh, I love the way you did that. Thank you. Yes. And I can't tell you how many times people will say to me, almost didn't come today. You know, just feeling lousy. But boy, am I glad I did. So what is the community, this authentic community marked by? It is marked by joyfulness. Let me give you a fifth and final characteristic. Okay, this authentic community is Holy Spirit togetherness, devoted togetherness. You got to make sure you show up. It's come to give togetherness. It's joyful togetherness. Fifth and finally, it is outreaching togetherness. Now, you would think that with all this emphasis on togetherness, that the church over time would become sort of an exclusive club. It's just for our togetherness, for members only. Outsiders now welcome. And I suppose this is probably the case in some churches, but certainly not in the early church, and hopefully not at Christ Community Church. Look at the closing verse of today's scripture, Acts 2, verse 47. These people were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I know that this verse tells us that it was the Lord who kept adding people to the early church. But after reading and studying this passage in its entirety as we have today, it's hard not to come away with the notion that this was one highly attractional group of people. Friends, here's my point. Authentic community always draws a crowd. Because outsiders love to experience the togetherness that should be the hallmark of our gatherings. Now you stop and think about it for just a minute. You know, the people that we rub shoulders with every day have been made in the image of a relational God. God has designed them for community. They thirst for togetherness. Whether they know it or not, and yet every day their desire for togetherness takes a beating. I mean, they, they go to school, but they can't find close friends. 
Their marriage, which is supposed to be the most intimate of relationships, is constantly in turmoil. They go, go to the job, their boss is a demanding jerk. They live on a block, but they don't know their neighbors. They're hiding an addiction or a same-sex attraction or something else they're ashamed of. They're, they're too busy, their schedules are packed too tightly to allow time for meaningful conversations. They want to be close to their kids, but their kids are now teenagers and a bit on the rebellious side. They go on Facebook and someone has just unfriended them. They're, they're isolated by chronic pain. They, they, they wonder, does anybody know what this feels like? Now, you bring one of these people to Christ Community Church. You bring one of these people who has been designed by God for community, but having the crud beat out of them with regard to togetherness. You bring them to a weekend service at Christ Community Church, and from the moment they step onto one of our four campuses, what are they seeing? What are they experiencing? So somebody greets them with a handshake and a hello, and a, I'm so glad to see you today. And they drop their kids off at a kid's world, and there, there are people who seem genuinely glad to have their kids for the next 80 minutes. And they walk into an auditorium and they watch their people hugging as they greet each other and then they all sing together like they really mean it and they stop for a time of welcome and the dude next to them is doing this 4-3-2-1 thing, learning their name, asking them questions, saying, can I pray for you? They sit through the sermon, somewhat boring, but they, you know, they hang in there. The end of the service comes and they're told that there are people who just want to pray for them. If they've got a need, go, you know, go to the side or come up front. Someone wants to pray for you. And it's something they've never experienced in their lives. Something like this. And I know what some of you wise guy cynics are thinking to yourselves right now. You're thinking, oh, you are so over-exaggerating the authentic community that happens at a weekend service at Christ Community Church. And I say, if I am, what are you going to do about it? Because it's not my job. So if we're falling down in this area, guess whose job it is to make it happen? By the way, hardly a week goes by at Christ Community Church that some relatively newcomer doesn't come to me and say, I love this church. It's the warmest church I've ever been to. You know, I, I, I really never thought I'd find a church like this. And this is why I challenge you one more time. Next weekend, wow weekends are made for outside guests. Okay, Matthew Lunn has a wonderful story to tell. We sent a camera crew to California a couple weeks ago to do an advanced interview, and I've watched it. And he's just a genuine person, and the invite's natural because everybody's seen a Pixar film. So who are you going to bring? How are you going to help community happen here? In fact, after we take communion together... And then the service ends. What's going to happen in the 10 to 15 minutes after the final amen in this service? Is it going to be good community or is it going to be, hey, okay? It's not me who's going to make it happen. It's you. Now, we're going to go to a time of communion. What better way to kind of cement this notion that we've been made into one authentic community than to celebrate? Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. We're going to do this at every one of our campuses. And let me just remind you, as you're holding the bread and the cup in your hand, that the, the thing that destroys community is sin. 
Okay? It's anger. It's self-centeredness. It's greediness. It's gossip. That's what destroys community. Jesus came to die for our sins. He came so that you could be forgiven, so that his spirit could come to live on the inside, and he could make you a person fit for community, a person who now knows how to live in harmony with other people. So as we're taking communion together at our four campuses, keep that in mind. If you'd like to participate, all that we ask is that you're a committed follower of Jesus. Okay, you, you, you'll get a tray that has two cups, one inside the other. There'll be bread in one and juice in the other. Just hold on to it because we're going to take part together. And at your campuses, your, your regional campus pastor will lead you during that time. But, but as we prepare, we'll sing a couple of songs of worship just to remind ourselves of the price Christ paid. Not only so that we could be saved from our sins, but we could be made part of his community. Would you pray together with me, even as our campus pastors lead in prayer at our regional campuses here in St. Charles? Let me lead you in prayer. Lord God, as we bow together before you, we are so grateful for the Lord Jesus who was willing to leave the close community of heaven and come live on earth for the purpose of giving his life on a cross and payment for our sins. He paid a, a debt we couldn't pay. He, he offers us life that we could never merit on our own. And as we pass the elements, the bread and the cup, make us mindful of what it cost him to make a relationship with you possible and to break down the sin barriers that keep us from enjoying community with each other. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.